This is Michael O'Connor, the Clueless Gent. How do you feel about romance in writing? Is it just a woman thing? We'll find that out and have much more romantic bookish goodness after this. We're a bookish Texas podcast. We try to keep it fun. So everyone who listens will stay until we're done. We'll talk about some Texas books and Texas authors too. And along the way, we hope to bring some bookish joy to you. Amanda Cabot is the best-selling author of Cimarron Creek Trilogy, the Texas Crossroads series, the Texas Dream series, as well as Westward Winds series. Her books have been finalists for the ACFW Carroll Awards, the Holt Medallion, and the Booksellers Best. She may live in Wyoming, but she sure knows how to write Texas style. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me to be part of it. I'm going to Well, I hope we're going to enjoy our time together. Well, I hope so, too. And uh, for our our, our listeners, I've been having some technical difficulties this morning. We've had some storms in the area, and I was about 10 minutes late in getting Amanda on the line. So hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, everything will go well for us. So um, without wasting any time, we'll jump right off. Um, As a romance writer, you could set your stories almost anywhere, yet most of them are set in Texas. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I really like Texas, and it's a state with so much variety in it that you could, I think you could be writing about Texas for the rest of our lives. Most of my books, in fact, all of them are set in the Hill Country, and that's because, although I like many, many parts of the state, that's the part that spoke to me the most. When I was there, it was just like, oh, this is where I want to have my books take place. Part of it is rolling hills. And of course, part of it is wildflowers. I mean, people who haven't been there can't believe how incredibly spectacular it is in the spring when you see fields of blue bonnets and you think it's a lake. It's awesome. It's so big and so vivid. So that's one of the things I I love the most about Texas is the blue bonnets and the, the wildflowers in the springtime. Mm-hmm. So I guess I can completely understand that. Yeah. So do you have a love-hate relationship with romance stories, or is it all good? Well, I like it. Uh, the hate part of it is the lack of respect that we get from critics and from readers who say, well, I would never pick up one of those books. I mean, really, they're just cotton candy, uh, which isn't true at all. Uh, When you read the statistics, romance is the largest single genre in all of fiction. I mean, we sell millions and millions of romances every year. Some incredible number of people read them. And, you know, that's an awful lot of cotton candy. Yes, it certainly is. The fact is that the people who denigrate romance first of all, haven't read in in many cases. And if they have, they call them these silly little books. Well, they're not that at all. Um, And they also say they're formulaic. And that's also not true. Although, to some extent, it is. If you say that a formula is meeting reader expectations, because readers do have some expectations of romance, and they're part of what makes it sell so well. 
their first expectation is that there's going to be admirable characters in there. Um, our characters have flaws. They would be boring if they weren't. Very true. But, but you're not going to have as your hero an axe murderer. You're not going to have as your heroine a woman who deliberately polluted every lake in the country. Those are not admirable characters. Um, so our readers want to identify with our primary characters, the hero and the heroine. So they have to have, although they have flaws, they have to be underlyingly good people. That's the first expectation. The second expectation that readers have is that there will be a happy ending. It's really critical. Um, we treat romance, in romance, we treat serious subjects. I certainly have. I mean, I've had a heroine whose parents were killed and who was raped in the very first chapter. I mean, tell me that's not serious. But when readers pick up a romance, they know that when they get to the end, justice will prevail, there will be a happy ending. And that's part of the appeal. And we live in a world where that doesn't always happen in real life. And so readers, by picking up a romance, can see sometimes very serious subjects treated but they know that there will be a happy ending. That's very satisfying. Yes, it is. And I read some books where I've expected a happy ending and it wasn't necessarily so, and I felt disappointed. Mm -hmm. Because as authors, we, we have a contract with our readers. I mean, when people pick up an Amanda Cabot book, they know that probably some awful things are going to happen. Um, they know that the road to happily ever after is going to be very bumpy. There will be twists and turns that maybe they didn't expect. There may be times when they say, oh, how is she ever going to get these characters <laughs> out of these problems? And I love it when they tell me that. <laughs> but they also know that if they keep turning the pages, by the time they get to the end, there will be a happy ending. And... That's important. <laughs> That's what readers want. So, as you said, characters are extremely important in romance novels. So, what is the trade-off between character development and plot development? Um, character development is more important. Romances, by their very nature, are character-driven. That doesn't mean that there isn't a plot, but... It means that the most important thing to, for the reader and for me as an author is creating characters who are going to grow and who will change by the end. I was just having this discussion about character versus plot driven with another author over the weekend, and we were trying to explain to each other what the differences are. In plot driven, what you want is to find out what happens next. In character-driven, you want to find out what's happening to my character. So when the book ends, you're sitting there saying, oh, okay, that was a great story, but these characters live on in your memory. They live on in your mind, and you want to know what's happening next. I have readers who send me emails saying, okay, now the Sutton Sister story has ended. 
here's what I think is going to happen to these characters. Can you write <laughs> one five years later? And here, here's what I want you to have in it. <laughs> to them, these are real people. And that's wonderful. Yes, it is. And, you know, good characters, they're, they're hard to put down. Mm. And since, you know, you've written several series, we're writing several series. Uh, do you use the same characters from one story to the other? Yes and no. Uh, the main characters always change. So, because one of the things that I personally hate are books with cliffhangers, where you don't, the story doesn't end at the end of the book. You have to buy the next one to find out what happens. Oh, I to hate me, that. That's oh, that's blackmail. It is. You know? <laughs> so, any, any author who does that to me, I don't buy another book by that particular author. Amen to that. But... Uh, what I like to do, and one of the fun things about having a series set in a specific town, is that I can introduce characters in one book. For example, the current book that I have out is the second in the Mesquite Springs series. The first book introduced several characters and gave them their happy ending. But at the same time, we saw as a secondary character a woman named Dorothy whose goal in life is to be a writer. Well, she's working at the restaurant, so that's not exactly being a writer. Second book, she becomes the heroine, and she gets her chance at a happy ever after. And oh, by the way, yeah, she does get to be a writer. So in book number two, I'm introducing characters who are never really on the screen or on the page, but there is a little bit of con consideration about this hotel that's being built. Book three will have more about that. So what I do is I take main characters and turn them into secondary characters in the second and third books, which helps the readers who want to know what happened next. Okay, so in most of those cases, um, I, I assume since like in the first book, the protagonist is going to get together uh, with like if it's a female get together with the male have a happy ending and uh -huh. then when you come back in the second book are they still with that same person oh yes oh yes okay happily ever after ever after okay so it's not yeah. like they get a divorce in the second book or anything uh, no 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 I don't do that to oh my readers would hate that and so would I <laughs> Because the reality is that after I've shown these characters who, at first glance, may appear to be totally wrong for each other, but I've got them going through all of these difficulties, and then finally at the end, they're together. Oh, I couldn't break them up. <laughs> <laughs> that would be breaking my contract with my readers. They'd hate me. So when you start your stories and you've established your characters, do you always know what they're going to be going through, or do you find out as you're writing? Uh, I'm a plotter, so I know uh, what they're going to do. Now, no surprises for you. They take detours along the way, but um, I write, and I'm sort of an extreme plotter. I mean, I write a one-page synopsis. That's the selling tool. Then I outline all of the chapters or, or all of the scenes that are going to be in a book, and then I move them around turn them into what appears to be logical sequence, break them into chapters, 
And that becomes my, becomes my roadmap for the first draft. But while I'm writing the first draft, things change. I move scenes around. I say, oh, I don't really need that scene. Here's something else that needs to happen. And that's all during the first draft. Then second draft, I add even more stuff. Typically not more plot points, although that has happened in second drafts. But there are no, no huge surprises to me. I know the overall plot, but individual incidents may change. Okay, don't hate me for asking this question. <laughs> okay. Do you write your romance stories just for girls? You know, what reactions have you had from male readers? Um, my primary audience is women, but I do have a number of men who read my books. In fact, I remember back when I was at my full-time job and one of my books was published and one of my colleagues, an engineer from MIT, bought one, came to the book signing, bought one, and I was really happy. I never figured he'd read it. Well, three days later, he shows up in my office with this incredibly sheepish look on his face. It's like, Jeff, what's the problem? And he goes, I read your book. And I said, and? And he said, practically in a whisper, I liked it. <laughs> so that was good. <laughs> I mean, to take this MIT engineer and have him like a historical romance, which was the first he had ever, ever read. Wow. He said, oh. I mean, and then he went on to say, I didn't realize romance was like this. <laughs> Has he read any more since then? I don't know. But that was a good moment. I, I am, as a male reader, I am not anti-romance. But if I do read a romance, it's, it's got to be good to hold my attention. And I guess that's true with almost any genre. You know, it's got to be good. Mm-hmm. True. So as far as making books good, you've been writing for quite a while now. Has your overall process you know, writing process changed since you started your first novel? No, not really. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's a short answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's always did this plotting and um, go on from there. Yeah. Wow. For any potential romance novelists in our listening audience, what three pieces of advice would you give them? First of all, read extensively in the genre. Um, I I run a writer's group, and I'm amazed at the number of aspiring writers who say, well, I'm going to write such and such. I'm going to write romantic suspense. Now, romantic suspense is really hard to write. Um, And like anything, if you don't know what reader expectations are, how are you going to do it well? So read well. While you're reading, figure out which of these books do I like the best? Because writing to the market makes no sense at all. I mean, I know people will say you should do that, but the market changes. So if, if you're saying, well, I want to write historical romances because they're popular now, by the time you finish writing it, assuming you sell it, the market could have changed. And if it isn't something that you love writing, that's going to show. So read extensively, analyze what you're reading to figure out what what do readers expect. I mean, take the, the New York Times best-selling books in your genre and analyze them. I know some people sit there with colored markers and they highlight, they use one color to show description, 
another one to show interior thought, another one for dialogue. And then they look through the pages to see what are the percentages of each, because that's important when knowing how to pace a book. Another piece of another piece of advice, join a writer's group. They're hard to find good ones, but you really need one because you need to be with other people who understand what's involved in being a writer and who can help you. Now, when you say writer's group, are you talking about an online group or an in-person group or it does not matter? Ideally in-person, although these days it's uh, Zoom and Google Meet that we're using for those in-person meetings. Uh -huh, I hear you. Um, but meeting in person is better because there's so much that you communicate non-verbally. And when you have people reading your books, you, uh, you will have people bring in three pages of their manuscript to critique. And just watching people's reaction when they're reading that helps a writer understand what, you know, how, how are readers going to react? And of course, as fellow writers, we're more critical than most readers are. I mean, we say you got the comma in the wrong place and hey, you know, you used the wrong homonym there. But being with other writers is critical. And the third piece of advice, don't give up. If writing is really what you should be doing, don't ever give up. And in fact, the keynote speaker at a Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers group 16, 17 years ago got up and said, I have one question for you. Is writing what you do or is writing who you are? And it's an incredibly profound question when you think about it. It is. Because I had just retired from my day job and it was a job I liked. I mean, I really took a lot of satisfaction in it, but I could walk away from that. And this was like three months later and not regret it at all. And I wondered why, because every time I've stopped writing, I felt as if there was this hole in the middle of me. Well, I realized, I mean, she was, her question was brilliant. The day job was what I did. Writing is who I am. Well, that is very profound. Writers need to ask them, aspiring writers need to ask themselves that. I mean, if, if you think this is a hobby or a quick way to get rich, well, let me tell you, it's not. <laughs> um, you need to figure out what are you willing to sacrifice to be a writer? Because there are sacrifices. I mean, when you're on deadline, you've got something to be done. You've got to give up, be willing to give up other things. Um, I was in California at one point on a business trip, but I was also on deadline for a book. And I wanted to go to Catalina Island. I had heard it was beautiful. Well, I couldn't do that. I mean, I had a weekend between the courses that I was teaching. Uh, would have been the perfect time to go. But the choice was go to Catalina or finish the book, meet the deadline. I met the deadline. I mean, you've got to be willing to make those kinds of decisions. Wow, that, that's some great advice. Uh, that thing about never giving up, almost all authors I've spoken to say that, so there must really be something to it. Well, rejection is a fact of life. I mean, not everything that you write is going to be 
is going to meet an editor's need. And if you're trying, if you're not going the traditional route, but are doing independent publishing, self-publishing, there are other kinds of rejection, which is poor sales. Yeah. You know, readers. Yeah. And, then, and then, of course, the dreaded one-star Amazon re- reviews. <laughs> I've only given one of those. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've always felt that, you know, when you start writing, you should write for yourself first before anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that way there'll be less disappointment. Absolutely true. I mean, what you need to do is write the book that you want to read. Mm -hmm. There you go. Not the book that you think someone else wants to read, but the the one you want to read. Because if you really want to read it, that sincerity, that love of the story shows. An editor, a reader can tell if you're really enthusiastic about the subject or if you're just doing it because, hey, it's what I do, not who I am. I like that answer. That's kind of what I'm doing with this podcast. I ask questions that I want to know the answers to. Not necessarily <laughs> what my audience wants to know the answers to, but I'm, I'm hoping that I'm pretty close mm-hmm. to both. So now your newest book, uh, Dreams Rekindled, is being released on March 2nd, 2021. Uh, without giving any spoilers, you know, what can you tell us about it? Who would enjoy reading it? Oh, anyone in the world. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, It's a book designed for people who like historical fiction, historical romance. Um, The short version of this story is, can a man and a woman, both prisoners of their past, find love and healing in a town where danger lurks? So if that intrigues you, pick up the book. Wow, it Um, intrigues me. Wow, that's pretty good. And I should mention copies of this book can be ordered by visiting www.bakerpublishinggroup.com or wherever books are sold. So do you have um, other books in the works? I assume you're writing on another one now? Or oh, well, let's see. The, the third, that's the second book in the Mesquite Springs series. I've already turned in the third one and I'm waiting. It's not titled yet, unfortunately. So I can't tell you what it's going to be called. Um, but that's already in with my editor, and I am working on a new series that will be following that called Sweetwater Crossing, and I'm halfway through the first draft of the first book. So, yeah, I'm always writing. Writing or editing, I assume. Yes. Um, you know, there's a question I've always wanted to ask a romance writer, but I've always been kind of afraid to ask it, or I don't know, it makes me sound kind of or feel kind of stupid. But on a lot of romance novels, on the cover, you've got this gorgeous woman and this real hunk of a guy. And, you know, they've got this pose going on where you can just see all, all the stuff going on between them. But when I walk around, I never see people like that. <laughs> where do you find those people? Oh, I don't find them. The publishers <laughs> find them. Um, and fortunately, my publisher doesn't, doesn't do covers like that. Um, but that is many of the historical romances in the secular market do have those kinds of covers. And it's for a real good reason. They sell. They're very popular with readers. It's part of the, the fantasy that's involved. I said that at the beginning that we need nice characters 
likable characters because readers want to identify with them. Well, if you take a Regency romance, which will have the hero, the characters that you're describing on the cover, think about this. I mean, most people, most women who are the majority of the readers would like to have one of those beautiful silken ball gowns and be drifting jewels and Anyway, yeah, they're not real people, but it's um, an art department somewhere's idea of what sells. Amanda, you have provided great insight and romantic wisdom, I guess I could say, uh, for a, a lot of our listeners. Thank you so much for being here. I wish you much success in, in everything that you do. Well, thank you for inviting me. This was really fun, and I do hope that your listeners found it helpful. I hope so, too. Amanda, have a wonderful 2021. Amanda made some great points during the episode. She gave some excellent advice. I hope you maybe know a little bit more now about writing romance than you did before listening to the episode. If you have not yet read any of Amanda's books, I highly encourage you to do so. I want to go back to something Amanda said as well as most every author I speak to. If you want to write, you need to write. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let anyone tell you you can't. You can. And as Amanda said, write the kind of story that you would like to read. Nothing truer has ever been said on this show. This is Michael O'Connor, The Clueless Gent. Thank you so much for listening.